Hello everyone, welcome to the Security Token Show. My name is Kyle Sondland, I'm the CEO of Security Token Market. I'm here with my co-host, Herwig. Hey, I'm Herwig Konings, I'm the CEO of Security Token Advisors. And Herwig, today's episode is an exciting one because we're talking about the SEC. And it's, it's a very tumultuous conversation because everybody associates government regulations with, with some kind of police or that you're gonna be in trouble. but Today, I feel like there's a, there's a different vibe in Washington and there's a different vibe down here in Miami, Florida. Yeah, well, make no mistake, Kyle, the SEC, they are police. Um, in fact, they are the strictest authority in the entire globe when it comes to financial markets. Um, so I am also very excited about today's episode because I've often had a hypothetical question. I think you and I have even uh, discussed it before. The what if we could change today's laws? You know, the, the reality is, is that the Jobs Act of 2012 was one of the first major changes to happen to the securities laws that the SEC enforces and regulates since 1933 and 34. Um, so the news that the SEC came out with, which is actually that they're requesting public feedback regarding private capital markets exemptions uh, is extremely exciting because that means everyone here can have a voice and an opinion and help make a better uh, capital market, especially because many of you who are listening are also active market participants as investors, issuers, or even entrepreneurs building uh, companies. So yeah, I'm pretty excited to get into it with you, Kyle, because this is, this is a heck of a subject. I certainly know you of all people are one of the OGs of the space. You've been in, in the, the private capital markets now for, for years through companies that you've founded. Is this something that, that has precedent in terms of the SEC requesting comments? Yeah, so that, that's a great question. You know, when the, the Jobs Act was passed, the SEC was mandated in enacting these laws, and there were several components to it. And so they were rolled out over time. Many, many of you also who have lived through this know that the SEC has gone through several common periods regarding each of the different exemptions that were added or updated, such as Regulation A or Reg CF. Um, so as a result, uh, they, they've always been sort of very forward thinking and have always kind of had a good pulse on what the market wants. And I think that's why they're recognizing the need today to issue this concept release. It's actually 211 pages long uh, to go over requesting feedback on this very subject. That's, that's really exciting. I think that uh, as an investor, as a participant in this ecosystem as well, you hit the nail on the head. This is an opportunity that I, along with you and, and many of our other colleagues and interested people in the space to actually have our voices heard in terms of what are some of the real concerns with the viability of some of these regulations and exemptions. And, and it's encouraging to see that this amount of work was put into the request or the ask for feedback, right? It, it's yeah. not like the SEC put out a tweet and said, hey, you know, tweet us your, your immediate response to Reg D. It was, no, we compiled a 211-page report detailing analytics, detailing the, the regulations themselves, and providing comments that they've received in the past from people, if I'm not mistaken, showing that not only are they conscious of past feedback, but they're actually very insistent on considering future change as well. So it's nothing but good things for us here in this industry. So I'm, I'm very excited. It's going to be great. We're going to go over all 211 pages today. I'm just kidding, guys. We're, we're going to break it down for you. But uh, before we do, let's go over security token news. What's latest happening in the industry? Let's get into it. 
So the first uh, you know, announcement that I want to make, and you know, we curate all this information from stomarket.com from our news section. Uh, and you know, the very first announcement that I see here is that Token Market actually recently got FCA approval to launch their STO in the UK. Now for many of you who don't know, the FCA is essentially the SEC equivalent to, uh, for the UK. Um, and they have a regulatory sandbox uh, that is actually very forward-thinking and allows for technology and new innovation to thrive for their capital markets. Uh, but it does require getting approval to exit that sandbox and work with the public there. Uh, and it looks like Token Market has successfully done this. For those of you not familiar with the company, they've helped over 30 blockchain startups raise over 250 million pounds. Uh, and it's you know an exciting uh, offering to see, and and uh, it means that they're going to be in issuing. STOs on behalf of other companies as well. So it certainly seems like across the pond, that's great news. Uh, another piece of news that I want to share is circling Coinbase. Uh, recently and, and last year partnered up to create the Center Stablecoin Network. For those of you who don't know, if you've ever seen the USDC coin uh, on CoinMarketCap or via Circle or Coinbase, that's actually a collaboration between them uh, to issue a US dollar-backed coin. And the recent announcement that they actually made is they're finally opening up and expanding for new members. What this really means is if you're an institution, and by the way, a licensed institution, which means you're likely either a bank or a money transmitter of some kind, you can sign up to become an issuer. And issuers have the option to generate returns on reserve assets allocated to them in accordance to their investment policy. And businesses can also generate revenue by building financial products and services that utilize the center stable coins. Um, so it's exciting to see that Circle and Coinbase are moving this initiative forward and starting to invite industry participation because I do I do believe it's an open source framework and that uh, they're, they're looking to expand. All members that, that participate also help build out this technology and Coinbase and Circle are certainly big names in the space uh, making a lot of moves. Another uh, major announcement that I think happened recently was Cardano partnered up with Polymath to develop a whole new compliance securities blockchain. Kyle, I know you have some comments on this. Yeah, I'm excited for this one. I just recently met with Polymath and saw a demo of their investor passport and how they're onboarding clients. And so now seeing that they're also launching a securities blockchain, I think is valuable. Personally, I'm not sure if they already had one or if they had something in the works. But that being said, Cardano and, and their founder, Charles Hoskinson, is certainly a great mind who worked on Ethereum as well as Cardano and certainly seems to get how blockchain applications work on a specific protocol. So this is incredibly interesting. The reality is that as we've seen from thought leaders all across the space, including the very own Jesus Rodriguez, is that security tokens very likely will need their own blockchain. And the reason why is because security tokens just carry a lot more information on that each transaction basis, which means that it might be slower on a traditional blockchain and, and traditional blockchains are not outfit for this kind of asset to be transferred in, in a you know, expedited and secure way. So it'll be interesting to see how this new creation actually functions in reality. The one concern I have is to see, I need to see the proof in the pudding, right? I don't know how long it takes to build a blockchain. I don't know how many security tokens Polymath has already issued on other blockchains, and I'm not sure how those transitions will occur. So while I'm very excited to see the fruits of this labor, at this point, 
it's still a press release and I'm excited to see more information as they get closer to actually going live with their mainnet. Definitely two big names uh, trying to do something very ambitious and it seems like our good friend Jesus might be right about this one, we'll see. Uh, for those of you who don't know Jesus Rodriguez, he writes a lot on Hacker Noon and you should go check out his content uh, about security tokens. The next piece of information that I have for you is actually uh, from uh, a competitor or uh, for Securitize, which actually recently partnered with T0, the stock exchange, uh, the token exchange that uh, we all know. Um, so T0 actually, I'm reading here, is looking like they're going to be a listing partner. They're going to, looks like they're going to be the one approving which tokens get accepted. But if you have or happen to be issuing using Securitize, there's a good chance that you can qualify to list on T0, which is very exciting. They're the third uh, exchange to be partnered with them, followed by, you know, Shares Post and Open Finance. It's also interesting because when I spoke to T0 last, there was rumblings that they were building their own issuance platform. And while this totally makes sense for an exchange to do, partnering with Securitize seems like a move that's lateral or back against that plan of, of having an issuance platform and, and issuing their security tokens through their own platform. So it's interesting to see how this develops, whether they continue moving forward with their own issuance platform and doing some kind of exchange offering that we've been seeing across the world, or if they are planning on partnering with, with the most trusted issuance platforms and onboarding their clients as well. So I'm not exactly sure what the, the reasoning is for T0 here, whether it's, it's because of the fact that Securitize does derive some of the highest quality security tokens and, and we know that team very well, or if this is some kind of move where T0 is, is not as confident in their issuance progress and are looking to focus more on the exchange. Yeah, I, you know, I completely agree, Kyle. It actually does make me happy to see that T0 is making a move like this. You know, this is the opportunity that we have using technology and security tokens to make it easier to collaborate and transfer securities uh, through multiple exchange options. So to see T0 make this move as securitized does make me very happy uh, if, they, if they were thinking about doing something alone. Uh, another company that uh, I really think you guys should check out if you haven't heard about it is called Figure. Uh, that recently, actually, uh, our, our you know, Pomp, uh, a well-known podcaster as well, on the subject, recently interviewed Mike Cagney, who's a co-founder and CEO. For those of you who don't know that name, Mike Cagney was the previous uh, CEO and founder of SoFi. SoFi is a big public company. They're, they're a massive lender. Um, and recently, Mike Cagney has left the company to launch Figure, which is a HELOC lending business, so home equity line of credit. Uh, the difference being that they actually originate all their loans on chain from the very beginning. There is a large amount of benefits from this through and through the entire life cycle of a loan all the way to securitization. Um, and it looks like with uh, over uh, a year or so of lending activity that they're actually going to be spinning off a, another company called Provenance, uh, which will actually be the blockchain behind these loans. Uh, this will become a, a, a blockchain that other lenders can use to issue debt on chain and leverage these efficiencies and cost benefits. Um, I think there's also another exciting thing because I believe it was at, at Lendit or a major conference, Mike Cagney announced that 
Providence later this year in Q4 intends to file an S1. Uh, this means to go public uh, in what manner we don't know. But the intention behind Mike's words is that, you know, the, the hash token, which he'll be selling, essentially represents a security token. They will entitle you to, to dividends from the use of that blockchain. There's no getting around that. But that he didn't want this to be held by just accredited investors or institutions. So the only solution for him that he saw was to go public. So I think that's something that we haven't yet really seen happen with security tokens. And for anyone who is, is paying close attention to this space, if you haven't heard of this company, I highly recommend you check them out and, and go listen to this podcast. As I mentioned to him on Twitter, it's exciting to see how these financial instruments coincide. So there's so many options in terms of the regulation D, regulation A+, regulation S, CF, and many of the other exemptions that we're utilizing through the JOBS Act, which are the, the real drivers behind the security token movement. But there's also options such as making an S1 and going as a public security. And, and so with somebody like Mike, who has experience running public companies, it will be very interesting to see the viability of this avenue of pursuit for fundraising and for, for leveraging your public securities. And so hopefully we wish him all the best success. This certainly seems like a much more involved process. I'm not exactly sure um, in terms of the additional steps that need to be completed to go as an S1 public security as opposed to a traditional general solicitation offering. But It'll be tremendous because there's nothing but great um, features to an S1, such as potentially retail investor access, which is something that isn't afforded to a Regulation D offering. So it'll be very cool to see him and, and the progress that Figure makes. It's a great company. It's led by a great team, and, and it'll be very cool to see. And on that same note of debt offerings, we also see that the Bloomberg terminal is now listing Ethereum-based debt instruments. So the, the firm is making eight issuances so far uh, with one month, three month, and nine month maturities. And uh, it's very exciting to see that, that these debt offerings and instruments are, are going to be available to more investors. These, these specific debt offerings that we're referencing are available through the OTC markets, so it's not quite on to an exchange yet. We certainly know that the Grayscale Ethereum Trust is also on OTC markets. So some of these debt offerings and, and additional securities are potentially going to be available moving forward uh, in a security token structure, which is certainly something that, that Herwig, I know you and I are very excited about. You certainly have uh, discussed this at length with many of your clients through STA in terms of how debt can be very powerful and, and how some of these offerings really can transform businesses looking to raise capital with, with new ways that, that weren't traditionally afforded to them. So very excited about that. And um, yeah, I, th I think for sure debt is, is one of those use cases for security tokens that can have much quick, quicker adoption and, and quicker movement. Uh, and so it's exciting to not only see Cadence make multiple issuances, but also for a company like Bloomberg, you know, requiring information and disclosure. So also start to look at this arena is, is very exciting news to me. Uh, additionally, beyond that, uh, another institutional report by Thomson Reuters actually came out uh, reviewing the progress of blockchain in the U.S. securities industries. It does take all angles. 
uh, including the crypto asset uh, adoption and the, the framework and that, that's kind of required and the uncertainty the SEC has created there, but also a, a more in-depth review about how distributed ledger technology can help capital markets from a clearing and settlement capacity. Um, they even analyze you know, an actual uh, issuance by Germany's central bank uh, that actually did not go so well. Uh, in fact, they felt that it cost them more than what it was worth, even though everything went successfully and issued as planned. Um, so there's definitely some skepticism, but at the end of the day, uh, they concluded that um, as long as you know the technology can continue to move towards a more cost-effective uh, solution, that in the end uh, the, the the banks and the central authorities would definitely start to leverage uh, the technology like this. So for anyone who wants to go check that out, definitely look up that Thomson Reuters report. In other news, uh, Seychelles, uh, which is an island, for those of you who don't know, off of the east coast of Africa, it's home to about 100,000 people, they're actually coming into the security token space as well. Wow. Uh, yeah, there you go. So another sort of third world country looking to make a first world move, I like to say. You know, you've seen similar islands like Malta also take advantage of the fact that they really have their own regulatory body. They're really, you know, inside, they can do whatever they want uh, and they can try and develop a whole new framework for outside issuers to take advantage of. Uh, and I think it looks like Seychelles based Merge, which actually has been around since 2011, is looking to do exactly this. It's actually named Merge because their mission is to merge traditional and financial markets with blockchain technology. Um, and it's interesting because the article highlights that uh, the exchange might have an advantage and become more efficient because they actually can create the rules of their industry, which is funny because we'll be talking about that exact subject later with the SEC. Um, but it is also interesting to see how islands and uh, other countries are looking to take advantage and recognize that there is a global movement happening here where assets and securities will become available to everyone around the world and that this is a, a huge economic boon for, for any country that can uh, become a, an exchange or a marketplace for, for such assets. Finally, I also want to share uh, news about Coinbase custody. They recently supported their very first security token, one of the very first security tokens in history actually, Blockchain Capital or the BCAP token. So for anyone who isn't familiar with Coinbase's custody, this is a third party solution. You do have a, a minimum, I think it's a million dollar investment to become a, a user of this custody solution. Um, it is an offline cold storage, third party insured uh, whole shindig. Um, but what's unique about it is this is the very first sort of third party custody that we're seeing uh, opening up for security tokens. And if what we heard earlier is true regarding T0 and Securitize, for those of you who don't know, BCAP is also a Securitize protocol based security token. So in that regard, we might actually be able to go to open finance, buy our BCAP tokens there, move them over to our Coinbase custody wallet, and when the time is right, perhaps find liquidity by moving them over to T0, uh, which I think is exactly where the future is headed, and now it is becoming a reality. And that's why I'm actually gonna make Coinbase my company of the week for this episode. Uh, because this is the type of institutional and uh, real infrastructure that needs to be laid down. And given Coinbase's 
uh, venture backing and prominence and status in the marketplace. I think this is a major move uh, and I think we're going to see support and adoption hopefully for other tokens uh, and vice versa. We're going to see more custody solutions and institutions and other options uh, come to market as a result. It's interesting to see how this develops and if investors in the BCAP token or potentially other security tokens that one day are opened to Coinbase. It'll be interesting to see if those investors use this platform because we will get into custody at some other episode in terms of, of a lot of our thoughts on how custody works with security tokens. But I certainly know that Coinbase is not doing this for free and they're certainly not providing interest to the investors by leaving their tokens with Coinbase. Right now, Coinbase is offering this feature at a fee. They're actually charging, um, I believe it's a percentage of, of how much is in custody, but I'm not fully certain on that as I'm not using them myself. But the reality is with security tokens, the, the need for outside custody providers is, is definitely one that we put into question. So as these security tokens continue to scale and as more investors begin to receive their tokens with, without lockup periods and without restrictions on their transfer, it'll be interesting to see how, how this service is, is received by the general community. And so, Harwig, you mentioned your company of the week. I think it, it maybe is a good time for me to segue into mine. In the STO front, security tokens have had a whirlwind of a week and one week that while the, the news has been tremendous, it actually has been a little bit overshadowed. That being said, Facebook is my company of the week because they announced Libra. I'm sure you've heard about Libra and the cryptocurrency that Facebook is announcing, but maybe what you hadn't heard is that they also released a security token. They are launching with two tokens in their model that goes live in 2020. And so let me break this down for you really quickly. So the Libra token that you may have heard of, that you may be familiar with, the, the cryptocurrency is certainly one that is meant to be a similar price or pegged to the US dollar. This is meant to be an international transfer of value, a store of wealth, and an opportunity for many unbanked men, women, and children around the world to have opportunities to get lines of credit, to store currency, and to store the value of what they're making, as well as removing remittance fees and many of these other you know, noted features that Facebook has, has commented on in terms of, of really harming our global financial system. That being said, to fund this initiative, they actually launched what is called the Libra Investment Token. And so the idea behind the Libra Investment Token is that they got, they onboarded over a hundred corporate partners. And so many of these corporate partners were, were interested in providing governance to this organization because the Libra organization in and of itself is actually separate from Facebook. And so this Libra organization is a third party that, that will make decisions for the entire network. And so to be a part of this membership, to have a say in how, what decisions are being made, Facebook actually required a $10 million minimum investment. And so Facebook has now generated a large pool of funds. We suspect it's probably in the 500 million to 1 billion range, depending on the grants that they gave to some nonprofits, um, governments, universities and more. And Facebook took this 500 million to a billion dollar pool and are actually planning on investing it in low yield, low risk bonds 
and securities, as well as treasury bills and many other investable assets with a low volatility to generate a return. And so Libra investment token holders are entitled to the dividends made off of the investments of the reserve. And so initially, it's actually quite small. With 500 million or a billion dollars, the returns are going to be very low. But the idea is that as more investors, which will be available to invest in this Libra investment token in 2020, when the system goes live, as this reserve grows and the dividends grow and they're able to, to take more positions and, and continue to expand their exposure, investors will be entitled to dividend rights of this token as well as having rights to make decisions for the system and be able to have governance. And so this is groundbreaking for our industry because this is one of the very first tokens that is fully funded and is going live that has secondary features. Herwig, I certainly know you and I have spoken about this a lot. I've got goosebumps, Kyle. This is groundbreaking, as you said. This is major. We have a Fortune 500 company actually going out there and saying, hey, we are using a security token to raise capital for one of our initiatives and perhaps they're even going to be opening it up so that anybody or at least institutions can also uh, take advantage of this. And it won't be through a traditional broker signing documents. It'll be through a token that they can go and buy. And of course, it's a more scalable and consistent way to raise capital for, for Facebook's Libra program. It, it's, it's just fantastic. And on top of that, not only is it one 500 company, Fortune 500 company rather that is launching this token, they actually have a hundred global partners, corporate right. partners, including Uber, including governments, including large banks that are very interested in participating. That, that's pretty groundbreaking stuff that, that we're, we're now, our industry is being thrust into the global eye and, and we'll see as these returns are generated that, that I'm, I'm very optimistic that many investors will, will be inclined to, to request these security tokens as opposed to other investable assets because of the fungibility, because of the customizability. I mean, what, what security in the past have you been able to customize what dividend rights you're getting? Customize what, what you know, governance rights are, are being provided or afforded. This is, this is really, truly unbelievable stuff. So I'm very excited. And uh, it leaves me with one question. And the one question that I do have that it doesn't seem like we have any information on yet as they did just make the announcement and it's very understandable. But it'll be interesting to see what partners Facebook's looking to work with. We certainly have heard rumors of BACT and other large corporate you know, issuance platforms and exchanges going live to support security tokens. There have been many rumblings of these things for over a year now. Are, are these corporate partners or the New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ who have embraced blockchain in the past publicly, are some of these players looking to work with Facebook or are they going to try to work with some of the smaller players who have been experienced in the space and who know this stuff front and back? Or the third option, which, which may be the most likely, they may be doing it all in-house. It's a great question, Kyle. I think it's safe to say we're going to be keeping an eye on the Libra token, specifically the reserve investment token, uh, future podcasts. Cool. So moving into the other security token news, while this one was certainly the largest story of the, of the week, we certainly have some other exciting things to talk about. Leading off with TradeCloud launching its security token offering. They're providing distributed cloud-based computing services for, for their clients. Investors get access into that system. 
Additionally, we see PCF Capital is hosting a 250 million offering through QuarterConnex. So this is an announcement. Certainly they're looking to raise $250 million. We don't have confirmation over how much they've currently raised, but I'm very excited about this offering because it's actually in the mineral and mining industry. And so Herwig, you and I talk about it all the time, but I'm very excited about hard assets as a strong use case for security tokens, whether it's owning hard assets themselves, futures contracts for potentially getting the, um, the amount that's, that's mined or drilled or or um, received in a specific area of land, or on top of that, even potentially offering debt offerings collateralized by the underlying land or the, the produce that's, that's completed. And so I'm very excited about these hard assets because it's, it's a real tangible asset that someone is owning and can properly value to generate a return. It's also one that seems to be the most applicable because there is difficulty sometimes for these smaller issuers to raise capital to expand a, a mining you know, organization or a drilling organization or, or agriculture. So I'm very excited. On top of that, they're based out of Australia and they are accepting US accredited investors. I'm not exactly sure the full scope of, of all of the investors available, but we certainly know that US seems to be one that, that international offerings are quick to, to exclude from investable opportunities. So it's great to see that a, a mining hard asset security token offering outside the US is accepting US investors. And while the US does not represent the entire globe, certainly for us living here in the US, working with the US regulators and the financial system here, it's exciting for us to see that. Noted, we, we do know you mentioned it was a press release, so we always recommend that you consult your own attorney whenever you look at any type of offering online, whether it's based out of the US or not, to make sure that you, know, you are actually qualified and are capable of, of investing. Crucial, crucial. We're not financial advisors, we are certainly not lawyers, but definitely take a look at it yourself and, and see if it's something that is interesting for you. Moving forward on top of, of other hard assets, we have both Harbor, who is hosting a security token offering for Rhodium Capital and their $100 million real estate fund, followed by Resolute Fund going live through Swarm and their tokenized real estate firm. So two real estate projects, two funds really looking to scale, utilizing two high quality platforms. Certainly Harbor's been in the space for a while. They're based out of Silicon Valley, have raised a great amount of money looking to leverage real estate and, and uh, it's, it's exciting to see Rhodium Capital is finally getting off the ground and, and going live through that platform. Additionally, Resolute Fund, you know, we have a great relationship with Swarm. We're, we're, we're happy with that team and, and they seem to be, be working hard to go live with multiple security tokens at a manageable fee. So it'll be very awesome to see both of those go live. And while you know there's plenty of room in the space for competition, it'll be interesting to see how each, each issuance platform and fund fares, certainly since they're around the same timeline. Definitely two very different subjects, huh? the technology, the issuance, and as well as the actual fund performance. Very interesting to see how those progress moving forward. Uh, I certainly know that Resolute Fund has, been, has done a strong marketing and advertising effort through social media and through attracting as many investors as they can. I've spoken with some of their team as well. Seems like a good team and uh, excited to see what they can do with, with the funds that they raise. On top of that, we have a, actually a great announcement. And this is through Proxima Media. They announced that they've secured $100 million in security token funding through a, a venture firm based out of Asia. 
And so this is, this is one that was very perplexing for me because on the surface, I couldn't be more happy, right? Offerings that are able to raise money is certainly at the $100 million range is, is incredible. It's great for the space. It's certainly one of the largest security token offerings that we've seen completed. It may to date be, be in the top 10, top five. And so to see Ryan Cavanaugh and his team being able to raise this capital is tremendous. But that being said, I have my reservations and here's why. Proxima has very, very little online presence. They don't have a brand. I was unable to get much information about the business outside of these press releases. It seems like it came out of the blue that these press releases, they secured this funding and I had never heard of them before. And it's my goal to be as plugged in as I possibly can into security tokens, running the largest database of security tokens in, in the industry right now, I like to think that I, I'm, I'm as plugged in as I can and certainly with you alongside me, we, we tend to know as many people as we can. And so the fact that, that they, they really haven't made much of an imprint on the space yet, I'm concerned to see that there's, there's still not a strong presence from them. Not that, not that this is not legit, but we certainly have seen with GSR Capital and T0 and how that deal fell through with their funding of over $100 million um, and this, there's precedent for these deals falling through. So I'm very hopeful to see that the fractionalized ownership of film, television, music, and other IP driven content will be funded by this firm and, and that, that Ryan can get a shot at this because I'm incredibly excited about this, this use case for security tokens. I think that, that with, with writing writers rights, as well as, as other IP intellectual property rights through screenwriting, through music, these are heavily contested, very competitive industries and being able to buy and sell these rights on the blockchain in a secure security that you can invest in potentially moving forward, I think is tremendous. And I'm just very hopeful that, that we get more information soon to confirm that this is, this is a legitimate fundraise and that they were successful. Finally, I wanna take a look at Bitbond. They're a German debt offering platform who was going live with a bounty program for their live security token offering. And for listeners out there, if you're not familiar with what a bounty program is, it was traditionally from the cryptocurrency space in an attempt to in incentivize users to follow their accounts, to retweet their posts, to increase their user base. But it often fell very flat because it was a shallow way of getting engagement in terms of you get initial eyeballs by paying them 10 tokens to retweet a tweet. But obviously the person that was engaging with that post wasn't really involved or committed to the program in any way. So once you stop paying them, all those people go away. And so I'm not very impressed by this bounty announcement. I was excited by Bitbond and the idea of a European company going live with a debt offering platform. And so I'm still, still confident in the program. I'm still excited for the team, but I wasn't super excited to see this bounty program because quite frankly, I don't even know if it's legal. I'm not a lawyer. I certainly am not giving any advice, but it certainly seems to violate US securities laws by offering free equity to, to non-accredited investors if you were to leverage any of our exemptions here in the US. But if, if they're based out of the, the European Union and they're moving forward with this, that's fantastic and I'm very happy for them. But I, I would certainly be hopeful that they would be, be looking to, to build a, a stronger user base than through a bounty program. 
No, that's logical, Kyle. I, I think you know, I'm personally not familiar with the German or EU laws, but uh, I have looked at the bounty program and I do know it certainly would violate some U.S. securities laws. So definitely we always do our own diligence and we'll be sure to follow up on this program, but I, I do get where you're coming from. And with that, that is all the news we have today. And I think we're, we're certainly caught up on security token news. So let's get into this week's theme, the SEC. Yeah. Uh, you know, 211 pages of meat talking about private securities frameworks uh, and exemptions. Uh, and so, you know, honestly, there's going to be any number of ways that uh, people go about this. It is an open comment submission. It is anonymous. You know, if you look at some of the five comments that are there already, they are uh, some very open and, and very critical, and others are very constructive and very well thought out. Uh, Kyle and I are working on our own submissions. But we do want to share with you that uh, we will be doing a campaign. We will be providing an open letter to the SEC. We invite you to voice your support with us. Uh, we'll ha give you the chance to participate by signing with us. And at the end of the, the comment period, we'll actually be submitting it to, to try and create one powerful impression uh, to the SEC as a unified voice representing the industry. Yeah, I'm also really excited about the letter. What are you thinking about writing in your section? Well, I know for me, and I know what's going to be a, a touchy subject in general, is certainly going to be the accredited investor definition, which I think also plays into access for retail investors. The Financial Choice Act of 2017, a, a bill that never made it through all the way, tried to do this by expanding the accredited investor definition to include individuals who are licensed either with a CPA, attorney, a Series 7, something that qualified them beyond just financial thresholds uh, and actually qualified them as sophisticated investors capable of making their own decisions. Uh, I think for sure we are going to see some activity around this because the, the SEC does have the authority to change this definition. Uh, and there's clearly public uh, demand and interest, both legislatively as well as for market participants to do this. And there's a number of ways to do this. Uh, I actually think for retail investors, they could become opt-in accredited investors by having either a third party, such as a CPA or a financial advisor, sign off on the fact that this individual does know the, the risks that they're taking and the investment decision that they're making. Uh, alternatively, we do see interest from the SEC for their comments about pooled investments and making it easier for, for retail investors to potentially access opportunities this way. Uh, I do think there's interest around disclosures. You know, Reg CF, you're, you're able to file without any scrutiny or approval from the SEC. Uh, as we've pointed out from Kyle with, with Reg A, that this is you know, definitely something else. Uh, so perhaps uh, by making it a, a smoother process with uh, safe harbors describing what is needed to get SEC approval quicker or making even an entirely new exemption to I, you know, target this sort of new segment between Reg CF and Reg A plus could be something that, that could be a solution to again open up the, the retail market. For me, the, the theme largely is creating a fairer capital market and fairer in the sense that it doesn't matter whether you're accredited or not accredited. It doesn't matter whether you can only afford 500 or 500,000 uh, as a minimum. 
uh, and it means for issuers to be able to raise uh, from the market without any barriers forcing them to either go public or you know be able to raise from both international investors as well as US, US investors without necessarily any uh, unfairness between them. And I know Kyle, you have some thoughts around this. Yeah, before we get into that though, I just wanted to, to clarify. So for everyone listening, you, you are our resident exemption king. You, you've been working in this space for so long that you are very good at dealing with them. Not an attorney. Not an attorney. But that being said, you do know which regulations require accreditation from investors and which ones don't. So can I you do. give a quick rundown of, of what an accredited means as an investor and which, which investment opportunities can non-accredited participate in versus those that are accredited? Absolutely, very good point, Kyle. For those of you who don't know the, the exact definition of an accredited investor, it's actually someone who earns $200,000 in annual income or 300,000 jointly with their spouse for at least two years. Uh, alternatively, you can also qualify via a net worth threshold of a million dollars, which means you, know, you have to subtract your liabilities and your assets actually as part of this rule cannot include your primary residence. So we're talking about a, a rather exclusive uh, set of individuals that qualifies for this. The SEC estimates it's around 10 to 12 million people that qualify. Uh, but what I also know is the number of accredited investors that qualify that actually participate in this market is dramatically lower, something like three to 4% of that number. Um, so with that, hopefully you guys can see the, the discrimination, if you will, that's happening in the private markets that Kyle was pointing out. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like these rules and regulations which were meant and intended to be very inclusive opportunities, ones that allowed for any given investor to give, let's say, $1,000 or $10,000, which would be a tremendous expense for, for the median income or, or, or even you know a, the medium to upper class of, of Americans still would, would really feel this. And it doesn't seem like it's satisfying a lot of the original intentions of, of what these regulations were trying to accomplish. So certainly I think that those accreditation rules, whether they are you know become more inclusive or we find ways to work around them such that, that there are some offerings that, that are able to be you know invested in by non-accredited investors, which I think translates well to one of my complaints, which is actually along the same the same lines that, that is in regards to regulation A plus. And so, as you noted, we've discussed this at length before, and and Regulation A plus is, is is was intended to be something that that any non-accredited investor could participate in. You could raise twenty to fifty million dollars using this exemption, and and it showed a lot of promise for the crowdfunding, and, and, and especially in our security token industry, it certainly seems like a great way for a non-commitment for investors to be able to provide some capital, enjoy some of the returns of these high-risk opportunities without needing them to necessarily have put up their house, to their second house or, or whatever. And many people don't even have a second house, right? So Reg A is supposed to be, you know, providing those people with those opportunities, but in security tokens, there doesn't seem to be any approved. Yeah, it's it's a tricky one, Kyle. We have a lot of interest from potential clients on the advisory side that say, hey, let's use Reg A+. I wanna raise money from everyone, Kyle, and we can raise 50 million, but you're absolutely right. Uh, there hasn't been a single STO approved on that front. 
There's been a little over 120 uh, actual Reg A plus offerings in the first place traditionally, which isn't exactly a big number compared to the 1.5 trillion that is raised through Reg B offerings. Um, so, uh, you know, I think you, you're making a very good point. It just doesn't seem like it's a viable option. And, and I think the worst part about it is the fact that the offerings that are applying, the security token offerings applying for Reg A plus aren't even being rejected. They're held in some limbo where we have no clue what specifically the SEC is looking for. And so it begs the question, what is even the, the point of having this exemption to raise $50 million? They clearly were very serious about this exemption. Why even offer it if you're not going to provide any insight into how to properly you know, take the proper precautions to, to offer this to the public? So whether that means increasing the requirements for, um, as you noted, the disclosures, whether it's, it's pre-approving through some investment process, whether it's doing the same reports that public companies do, or some other solution or combination of the few, it seems like there needs to be more clarity there. On top of that, one of the other issues about having these minimum investors be able to participate in an offering is the sense that, that there is conflicting shareholder regulation numbers in many of these exemptions. And so, the SEC proudly promoted through their own 211-page report that the amount of shareholders in a Reg D offering is unlimited. It's uncapped. There is no limit on how many investors can participate when in reality there is already an existing law that says only 2,000 shareholders can exist in a private business. And if there are any more than 2,000, then that company needs to file for a public offering. And for many of the small businesses that we're trying to promote here using these regulations, they don't want to go public yet. Whether they don't have the capital requirements, they're not ready for that, they can't afford being in the public eye, or many they're maybe not even interested. And, and, and so making them apply that, the public offering makes all of these private exemptions pretty much useless because the, the private exemptions are supposed to promote unlimited investment and Clearly, that's not that's not possible. You have to set high minimum investment requirements to to actually get to the numbers that millions of dollars that a company is looking for. And on top of that, with that that low cap, it also limits the amount that investors are are able to trade on secondary exchanges. They're not willing to get any liquidity for their shares because they can't trade small amounts or other retail investors that weren't able to make the primary investment can't buy one or two shares to diversify their portfolio. Small investors who want to be diversified aren't able to get access because of the fact that the exchanges and the company themselves will have to be responsible on that 2,000 shareholder limit and prevent from getting to that range. So this certainly needs to be clarified. And, and, and one of the ideas that I had was just potentially, since Reg D is an exemption in and of itself, let's add to the exemption the sense that, okay, if you use a Reg D or a Reg A or a Reg S offering, you are exempt from the shareholder rule. Potentially they could make that something that changes over time, that maybe you're, you're exempt from this, the shareholder rule until you reach a certain size or until you do X, Y, or Z, some potential hesitations that they may have. But right now as a 2000 shareholder limit, it just doesn't seem like it's going to allow for any transition into public markets. It's not going to allow for the productivity of these crowdfunded small time raises for these businesses. And I think it's really hurting the viability for these opportunities. 
and something that I'm definitely going to make sure it is noted and, and is well thought out in terms of the constructive criticism and the potential opportunities that the SEC can explore. It's something I'm going to be focusing on heavily in, in the document. Yeah, I, again, I, I completely agree, Kyle. I'm excited to, to put you know pen to paper and, and address the 19 plus specific questions that the SEC is, is asking comment for. We encourage everybody to do the same. We hope you'll voice your support with us as well. Um, and with that, that is all we have for you today in the Security Token Show. So I want to thank you for tuning in to our first ever episode. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care.